You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Her Money is supported by Fidelity Investments. Together, we're here to empower, educate, and encourage women to start talking about money. Discover more at fidelity.com slash it's time. Her Money comes to you through PRX. Hi, it's Jean Chatsky. Welcome to Her Money in a very good mood today because it is nice outside. Sometimes we are sitting here in the studio and we can see it raining outside, but we can't hear it raining outside because we're in a soundproof booth. But today we can see that it's nice and sunny and beautiful out and that just, I'm very weather susceptible, just puts me in a good mood. So those of you who are regular listeners of this show will remember that a few months back we went to a convention called FinCon where we met up with all sorts of interesting people who write and blog and podcast and YouTube in the money space. And one of those people, one of those women is Melanie Lockhart. She is here in New York today. She's been here all week for a credit union convention called Think, and we nabbed her to come in the studio. And she's got a really, really interesting project that I want you all to know about. So just some backstory. We do talk sometimes about credit card debt, and credit card debt right now is a trillion-dollar problem. Actually, it's over a trillion-dollar problem. The numbers have climbed back up to the point where they were prior to the Great Recession, which is scary. Add that to the $1.4 trillion we're carrying in student loan debt, and America is just in one big debt hangover right now, and that can be a really emotional situation. Debt is a huge money stressor. It is just a huge life stressor. Sometimes it leads to problems in marriages. Sometimes it leads to problems in self-esteem. Sometimes it leads to problems on the job because it's very difficult to focus if you know that you've got an overwhelming amount of debt. And Melanie has come up with a very interesting way of dealing I guess dealing is the right <laughs> word with that debt. So, Melanie, welcome. Thanks for coming to the studio. Yes, thanks for having me. First of all, I'm such a fan of yours and so happy to be here. Oh, Melanie is a little out of breath because she jogged here <laughs> from Midtown. We're glad to have you. Yes, thank you. But yeah, I just wanted to tell you a little bit about Dear Debt and sort of how I've dealt with some of those crazy emotions that you're talking about, you know. So take a step back. What is Dear Debt? First of all, Dear Debt is my blog. So um, I have this blog where I inspire people to break up with their debt. And it's sort of like this Dear John letter, you know, but instead of Dear John, it's Dear Debt. It's over. I'm dumping you. I'm so sick and tired of dealing with your stuff right now. So I have Dear Debt, the blog. And then I also have Dear Debt, the book, which chronicles sort of this whole journey of me getting out of student loan debt, $81,000 in total, which was a huge emotional crazy feat and 
I think it's really important for people to to sort of deal with those emotions that you're talking about because there is so much shame and guilt and anxiety and depression. And those people, they're not acknowledging the effect that it has on their lives. So the letters are a fun way to take back that ownership and that empowerment of your money. When did you write your first Dear Debt letter? Well, I started my blog January 3rd, 2013. I was in a very desperate place. I was feeling depressed and anxious. I was making $12 an hour at that time. I had $57,000 left, and I just felt hopeless. And as I started my blog, I was trying to find my voice. How could I fit in in the personal finance space? As you mentioned, there's so many content creators out there. And I thought, the place that I'm really interested in is the intersection of emotions and money. And so I came up with this idea about six months later about the Dear Debt Project. And so I wrote my first Dear Debt letter in July 2013 and just wrote it all out there and then invited other people to do the same. And if you go on the site, there are so many different Dear Debt letters. Some are very humorous. Some of them are very silly. Some of them are very heart-wrenching, you know, really um, touching because people are dealing with these complex emotions and complex histories related to their debt. Tell me about some of your favorites. Uh, I love this Dear Debt letter. Dear Debt, I'm just not that into you. You know, it's just <laughs> so funny. And, you know, there's definitely some cursing that goes on in the letters as well. And those are some of my favorites because they're really passionate and angry and fun. And um, I really love some of the letters that you can tell that they are uncovering emotions that they haven't dealt with probably ever. Sometimes I'm surprised and sometimes... It's hard for me to read, and I don't edit the letters at all. People always ask me, oh, do you edit the letters? What gets put on the site and what doesn't? And I publish them as is. Some of them are difficult to read because people are feeling hopeless and helpless and, and wondering what they can do. But the letters are a way for them to reclaim their power and acknowledge those feelings. Tell us about your journey with your student loan debt. I mean, $81,000 is a lot of student loan debt, especially when you're coming out and trying to do something in a liberal artsy kind of a field. Mm -hmm. How did you get a grip on it? How long did it take you to repay it? So I paid off $81,000 in total in nine years. Sort of the sexy headline version is that I paid off $68,000 in four and a half years. And that was because for the first five years with my undergrad debt, I simply paid the minimum. Mm -hmm. I just thought, oh, this is another bill. I'll just treat it, you know, like a bill, pay the minimum. Didn't really think about it. And then I graduated from NYU, you know, in New York, very expensive private college, got my master's in performance studies, which is a liberal arts, uh, performing arts degree. And I graduated even after, you know, paying my loans for five years. I still had $68,000 left in May 2011, and I was in complete denial. I signed up for a Mint.com account, and I synced all my bank accounts, I synced all my loans, and I saw $68,000 for the first time, and within two days, I deleted the account. <laughs> <laughs> you just didn't want to look I, I at just, it. I couldn't deal with it. I said, nope, I can't deal with this right now. My income is so low. I can't pay this back. I was just in complete denial. And pretty much six months later, my payments were due after my grace period had ended. And I realized I couldn't live in New York and pay rent and pay my student loans. So in a way, I was kind of forced out of New York because of my student loans. And that was kind of a big wake-up call for me that it was actually affecting my life choices. I didn't want to leave New York. I love New York. And 
all of a sudden I was changing my life direction because of my debt and I had no choice. And so once I really understood how debt was affecting my life choices, I said, I can't be at the mercy of this big debt forever. I need my freedom. I need my choices. And so, you know, about a year later, January 2013 is when I started my blog. And, you know, a whole year and a half after graduation, I was just sort of fussing around and not really knowing what I was doing with my debt, trying to figure out my career. And then I just said, I don't care what happens, but I'm going to get out of debt. And I don't know how. I don't know what's going to happen in the next few years, but no matter what, I'm going to get out of debt. And I think that mindset shift was really huge for me. You know what? I think it's a really huge mindset shift. You have to be ready to tackle it, whether it's credit card debt or whatever kind of debt it is. I am curious about the fact that it was student loan debt, though, because Mm -hmm. you talk about the shame involved and the mixed emotions. And When we talk about debt on this show, it tends to fall into different categories. And Mm -hmm. I wouldn't think that those emotions would come along with student loan debt, or at least as much with student Mm -hmm. loan debt as with credit card debt, because it's educational. Yes. That's such a good point. And I think for me, because I went to a fancy private school that I didn't need to go to, that I chose to go to, that this was my master's degree and I willingly got into a ton of debt. I was very cognizant of that fact. And then the fact that I couldn't find a job afterwards with my master's degree. My student loan represented my failures, my inability to find a job. It just represented all of these things that were affecting my life. And, you know, it it did fill me with a lot of guilt and shame and anxiety because I couldn't pay it back. I couldn't find a job. I felt like I had made the wrong choice. And as you were thinking about paying it back, once you finally had money coming in from the blog as well as Mm -hmm. other sources and you were able to focus on that $68,000 weight, so to speak, Did you ever think about, well, should I be investing some of this money instead? Should I be trying to get a better return on that money? I mean, again, these are the sorts of this or that choices that I sort of look at the mathematical return on these sorts of things. And when it comes to paying down debt, I'm a big avalanche, not snowball person, because the avalanche is cheaper and quicker. Mm -hmm. The snowball, though, gives you those emotional wins. And so I'm just wondering, did you stop and think, well, if I actually invested this money, if I put it away, I could maybe even do better than paying off this debt and I could just pay off the debt over time? Yeah. Anyone that knows me knows that I'm an all or nothing person, which is really good in some cases and really bad in others. And, you know, it definitely had its pros and cons in my debt repayment journey. You know, once I made that mindset shift of I'm going to get out of debt no matter what, and I started treating debt like a crisis, I didn't save as much anymore and I didn't begin investing. And that is something I definitely regret now that I am debt free because I'm 32 years old now. I am just on my investing journey right now, which I'm late. I'm behind. And of course, in hindsight, I can see that during my debt repayment journey, I was so focused on getting out of debt. Every single dollar, every single cent I wanted to put towards my debt. Because for me, it was a guaranteed return on investment because I had graduate plus loans at Mm 6.8% and then also 7.9%. It was roughly $50,000. I was paying $11 per day in interest. Yeah. And so I thought, I need to just 
pay this off as quickly as possible, and then I will catch up with investing. Not a great balanced approach. Well, I definitely recommend balance. I mean, I think that if you become obsessive about a financial goal that's going to be good for your future, and then maybe you become a little obsessive about saving and investing down the road. I don't know that that's a bad approach. I mean, it worked for yes, you. I mean, that's it <laughs> that's the thing. It it worked, and a lot of debt repayment methodologies don't. Let's breathe for a second and remind everybody that her money is brought to you by Fidelity Investments and. Fidelity is focused on helping women like us figure all this out, focused on helping us take charge of our financial lives, wherever those lives happen to be, whether we're dealing with debt, whether we're trying to figure out whether to buy a house or go back to school, whether we're trying to figure out whether we should put our money into our 401k or an IRA or an HSA. Fidelity wants us to have these conversations. And so if you'll visit fidelity.com slash it's time, you'll find more conversations like the one that I'm having with Melanie Lockhart. You'll find information about how to manage your money during life's biggest events and most challenging times, whether you're getting married or divorced or starting a new career. And again, that is fidelity.com slash it's time. And we're back with Melanie Lockhart of Dear Debt. So after people decide, yes, I'm ready, and the I'm ready discussion always reminds me of this moment that I had with Oprah, because when we did the debt diet on her show, after we taped it, we did an after show mm -hmm. where we just opened it up for questions from the audience. She was really into it. And so she was willing to take some questions. And that was great. And a woman stood up and I will always remember her because she was in a great red dress. And she said, you know, I guess I could start focusing on my debt, but there are these things I want to do and there are these things I want to buy. And Oprah just looked her square in the <laughs> eye and she said, you are not ready. Yes. You are not ready. You have to be, you have to be at that point where you know that you are willing to make the trade-offs because there are trade-offs involved in this. There are so many trade-offs and you have to mentally switch and be prepared to be on this debt repayment journey, possibly for a long time. I knew when I made that switch, I still had so many thousands of dollars in debt. I knew it was going to be a multi-year journey. It wasn't going to be, I'm going to pay this off in five months or 10 months or even a year. It was going to be four to five years of very intense repayment of me working seven days a week, me scrimping back on many different things. How do you get yourself to do that consistently? I mean, life is full of temptations and spending triggers. What's the secret sauce in getting yourself to stay on track? Debt fatigue is so real. I can just say that first and foremost, because paying thousands of dollars or even hundreds of dollars per month for many years is exhausting. So you have to really understand your goals and understand your why. Why is it important to get out of debt? Because getting out of debt is just any other financial goal, but you have to have a why 
associated with it to drive you. For me, I wanted to quit my job. I wanted to be my own boss. I wanted to travel the world. I wanted to be location independent. I'm happy to say I am all those things right now. And so I am living my debt-free dreams right now. But at that time, I was taking on gigs I didn't want to do. I was living in a small studio apartment with my boyfriend, didn't have a car, didn't have a pet, gym membership, nothing. And I felt like all of my choices were either no or the most affordable option. Mm -hmm. And when you feel so limited in life because of money, you just realize that you're a slave to debt in many different ways. So for me, I had to focus on what is my life going to look like after debt? Because you better believe I'm never going to be back in debt ever again. And so I created these secret Pinterest boards of what my debt-free life would look like. I put my balance on my credit and debit card. So every time I spent money, I would know this is how much debt you still have. Are you sure you want to make that purchase? And I would just say, I'm going to be living a different life once I'm debt-free, and I'm paying for it now. I'm living like a broke college student, even though I'm in my late 20s, early 30s, and it's going to pay off. So you have to just really hold tight to your debt-free dream, whatever that may be. We all have them. How do you deal with your friends during this time? I have two kids. I talk about them a lot, but the time that they spend with their friends is just their most important time. You know, they're Mm -hmm. very friend-centric. And sometimes being friend-centric, and Kelly will attest to this, gets expensive. Yes, definitely. In my book, I do have a chapter on how to be a frugal friend without going broke, because this is such a key component to getting out of debt. I think our you know, friend circles can really trap us in a way where we're spending money that we don't have. We want to keep up with our friends. We don't want to be left out. We don't want to have, you know, FOMO, fear of missing out. And so for me, I always work towards making the invite, making the ask. So instead of waiting for your friend to say, hey, let's go to this fancy new sushi restaurant, you can say, hey, do you want to come over to my place for a casual wine and Netflix date? You know, really making the ask first, Mm -hmm. and then learning how to own the no as well. So if your friends are asking you, hey, can you come to this fancy sushi restaurant? Say, you know what? Um, I don't think I can make it this time around, but how about this instead? And really countering with something that is in your budget. And your real friends, they want to see you. Right. You know, they they just want to hang out with you. So they should be amenable to that. But It's definitely a struggle and something that you have to navigate carefully. And once you see the forest through the trees, once you see, I guess, the light, right, coming toward you and you are at that point where you can start imagining not just a debt-free life but a future, how do you plan for that? In this debt repayment journey, so many people focus on just getting out of debt Mm -hmm. that when they finally get out of debt, they don't know what to do. And I was totally guilty of that as well. I thought, I paid off all this debt. Now what? I knew I should save. I knew I should invest. But you have this money and you're not really sure what and where to do with it. So I think definitely replenishing your emergency fund should be step number one. That's something that I did because my emergency fund was pretty low. Uh, Second step, definitely boost my retirement savings. I started my retirement savings, investing, and then also having some fun funds as well. So having a travel budget, having going out budget and adding some of those things back into my life that I had scrimped out for so many years. 
so the book is called Dear Debt. The blog is called Dear Debt. And you're doing something. Just tell us a minute or so. You're doing something called a Lola retreat coming yes. up. What is that? The Lola retreat is a women and money retreat happening in Portland, Oregon this summer, August 18th to 20th. And it's going to be around 60 different women, lots of different financial educators. It's going to be workshop style, hands on teaching women about money. So we're going to have investing sessions, earning more sessions, money mindset sessions, and love and money. And we're really doing something different because we're having a financial therapist there, Amanda Clayman, who is wonderful. We're having a couples counselor there to talk about a lot of the conflicts that we deal with money and relationships. And we're focusing on empowering women to have a better relationship with money, how to own their money, and figure out how money can serve them so they can live the life they want. Are you sold out? Not yet. So where so can people learn more? People can learn more at lolaretreat.com. Okay. Melanie Locker, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Sure. Kelly has joined me in the studio looking all natty in your striped shirt. Thank you. Not that what you're wearing makes me think of Clueless, but do you remember that scene in Clueless where Stacey Dash said she was going to get married in a little sailor dress and yes. all of her attendants would be wearing little sailor hats? Yes, I do. I love that movie. This is the first movie you've referenced that I have seen Way to make me feel old, <laughs> Kelly. Thanks so much. You know, Kelly and Melanie have this little thing going of uh -oh. which I am not a part. There's this whole blogger oh, community. Yes. You know, there is there is a really, really nice and I think collaborative community, mostly female, some guys of personal finance bloggers. And they have just come right in and embraced Kelly, but they invite me to nothing. <laughs> I am the just thing saying. They do your schedule for all the people listening who don't know too. This woman is rarely in one place for very long. No, but I, I you do always, get it's invites. always nice to be invited. You, Actually, Bobby Rebel invited mm -hmm. me to a brunch yes. next week, so I was happy. Did you make her invite me? No, I did not. Do you realize that I only get invited to these things because of you? No, that's so not true. Oh my gosh, that's so true. But we'll argue about that another time. Okay, what do we have? <laughs> Our first question is from Gonzalez on Facebook. And I love, I'm assuming Gonzalez is a man. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to assume that. And I love that. And we get questions. Some of the questions we get from men, they're like, I know this show isn't for me. It is for you, too. It's not titled for you, but like it's for we anyone. We welcome you. Yeah, we do. Absolutely. So he writes, I'm a bit embarrassed to ask this question because I'm age 58 and I'm finally debt free. I'm finally able to put large amounts of money in savings. I'm a teacher three years away from retiring and have my teacher retirement TRS to take care of me. However, I'm not sure what to do with my surplus income. I was thinking of traditional IRA but a friend advised putting it into a 403B instead. Please advise. You know, if you're eligible for a 403B, and many teachers are through a supplemental plan, that can be a good way to go. The fees might be lower. You got to check out what options you have in your investments, just like we tell people to check out what options they have in their 401k, because if you don't like your investment options, if they're a little too pricey or if they're underperformers, then you're better off going the IRA route because you're going to have more choice. But I just want to say, good for you. You have been saving all along the way because you've got your teacher's retirement plan. 
and being able to do more at this point in your life, it's great. Mm -hmm. It's just great. And it's going to help you and whatever age you are when you reach this point. And people's ability to save goes up and down. When your kids are really young and you've got all those new baby expenses, it might be hard as they get a little older, maybe it gets easier for a while until college comes around and then it gets really hard again. I mean, our 40s and our 50s, there's, there was some really interesting research that the folks at um, Chase did, I believe, that shows that, you know, those are our heavy duty spending years and it tapers off a little bit after that. But all saving is good saving. So no need to apologize for your age. And we're really glad you're listening. Thanks. Yes. Thank you, Gonzalez. Our next question is from Maggie on Facebook. I would like to know how to go about paying my student loans without all the interest accrued, which is 20 grand more than the original 60 grand. I'm paying on one loan, but it seems endless. Also, the school I attended closed their doors and in my original contract stated that at any point in time, I could go back and take refresher courses for free. Now I can't because the school no longer exists. Any help would be greatly appreciated. Have you heard of something like this before? I have not heard of something like this before, but it sounds to me like you were at a for-profit college. Mm -hmm. You've got to watch where you're going to school in addition to how much time you're going to school and how much money you spend going to that school. A couple of things that I would suggest. First of all, look at refinancing that debt into one big loan with perhaps a lower interest rate. If you're employed right now and that employment seems solid, that'll be easier to do as long as your credit is in fairly decent shape. And so you may want to look at SoFi. We talk about SoFi. Citizens Bank is big in this area. Common Bond is big in this area. If you go to magnifymoney.com, they've got a list of all the different places that refi student loans. So that's a good place to look. And then I don't know the name of your school. You didn't share it with us, but I would do a little sleuthing on the internet just to see what other students are suggesting. There may be some sort of class action lawsuit. There may be a thread that you can pursue with the Department of Education. You know, without the name, it's really hard for me to give specific advice. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I would see what you are certainly not the only person in this boat. No, but I wonder if anyone has pursued, will pursue it, and if it just takes that one person to make that first step. Because if contractually she was... Uh, entitled to this benefit? Or do you think there was some writing in there as well that, you know, in the fine print? There's probably fine print, but there's also, you know, it's kind of like trying to sue somebody who has no money. No money, right. That's so frustrating. It is. It's really really frustrating. Well, keep us posted, Maggie. And good luck. Then Jenny sent us an email. She writes, Jean, I have questions. Oh, boy. I, <laughs> I took a severance package from my previous employer in the amount of 15000 My savings is now about 20000 Thankfully, I found a new job within 30 days. I have two credit cards, one at 1400 and my college daughter's at 1800 I need to buy a new sofa and dining room chairs, approximately 1500 to 1800 Do I use my savings to pay down credit cards and then charge furniture Do I pay credit cards as I go and pay cash for furniture, or what is your suggestion? Okay, first of all, let's redefine I need to buy a new couch and dining room (laughs) chairs, okay? Because I have been spending time these days on 
consignment sites, on Facebook, where I like to visit Chappaqua Mom Sales.、Mm-hmm. My friend Diane, who I talk about all the time, she's my running partner. Um, recently moved from a big house to a little house. She had a massive tag sale and sold her whole dining room set for very little money, and it was really, really nice. It just wasn't going to go with the new decor that she was planning for this new house. In other words, I think you could probably find sofa and dining room chairs not new. That would make you happy for less money. So I would suggest going and looking and seeing if that's possible before you do that. I just went down such a tangent. I don't remember the rest of her question. <laughs> She wants to know. So then it comes down <laughs> to using credit cards or cash for it. Oh well, if you can do it with cash, do it with cash, especially because you're working on paying down debt already.、Mm-hmm. So yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, thank you. And so by、much. the way, if you go the tag sale route, you're not going to have any choice because they're not going to take your credit That's card. That's very true. Exactly.、Yes. Thank、all、you,、right. Jean. Thank you, Kelly. And with all this debt repayment talk today, I just want to reiterate the importance of saving. Your savings should not fall by the wayside when you're paying down debt. And I know it's not any easier when you have debt. As humans, we are just not hardwired to save anyway. We prefer immediate gratification to delayed gratification. So your brain is working against you. But, but thanks to behavioral economics and all the wonderful stuff we're learning from that research, there are workarounds and there are strategies. The biggest automation. Whenever possible, when it comes to your savings, just set it and forget it. There is no better way to do it. If you get a raise, increase the amount that you're putting away every single time you get the paycheck, so you don't see the money. Also, try visualizing your future. Whenever you are about to make a purchase, whether it's five dollars, fifty dollars, five hundred dollars. Take a moment to imagine yourself five years down the road. Projection could make you realize that you don't need it after all, and that you might not have it in five years, or it might not give you joy. And one more: figure out what kind of saver you are, and maybe challenge those. Thoughts. A recent study grouped participants into big picture thinkers and detail-oriented thinkers, and then assigned them a savings goal, either a big and abstract one like save as much as you can, or a concrete one, save $150 per paycheck. Surprisingly. The most successful savers were the ones that followed the strategy opposite. Their normal way of thinking. So, big picture thinkers followed specific savings goals, like saving a hundred and fifty dollars a paycheck, and detail-oriented thinkers followed big picture savings goals, like saving as much as they could, with the most success. Sounds a little complicated. Rewind that part and just listen to it again. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining me today on Her Money. Thanks to Melanie Lockhart for a terrific conversation. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our show at iTunes and leave us a review. Also, please take a moment to take our survey at jeanchatsky.com, which tells us just a little bit about who you are, so that we can serve you better. We'd also like to thank our sponsor, Fidelity. Our music is provided by Track Tribe. Our show comes to you through PRX. 
And next time, we've got Jen Hyman, who is one of the founders of Rent the Runway. Kelly is pointing to herself because she subscribes to their unlimited service and is currently wearing one of their rental ensembles. They're always fabulous, and so is she. You'll want to tune in for that one. We'll talk soon. We'll be right back.